All right, time for your Miami Sports Pod. Will Manzo, Dukey Lang, and of course Clay Ferrer are here. Uh, and we're going to talk some baseball. And I we wanted to do it last week, but unfortunately with all the stuff going on in the Heat's playoff chase and Dwayne's last dance and you know some of the other things that have gone on town with the Dolphins and the changes, we didn't find the right time before the season to do it, but it's okay. Season's only a few days old for the Miami Marlins. That meant uh, going 2-2 two and two against the Rockies. They open up uh, against the Mets this week and wrap up the homestand. So we're going to talk a little bit, Clay, about not necessarily expectations as far as wins and losses, because I think we all agree that, all, that the Marlins are not going to be very good. But what are some of the things you look to this season and say, here is the reason I am going to watch and pay attention to Miami Marlins baseball? Well, I want to get to know some of these guys as we as we look to the future. And as we're recording this on Sunday night, Sandy Alcantara went out there and had a heck of an outing. And, and so I, I'm interested to see not only – how these guys grow and develop and uh, their personalities and all that. But I'm interested to see how the fans react. And, and again, as we're sitting here, it wasn't a great Saturday and Sunday attendance-wise at these games. You see the pictures online. I will tell you, when we were out there for opening day, it was fantastic. But I, mm-hmm. I get a vibe, though, even though the, the attendance was not good for the Saturday and Sunday games. I, I'm kind of starting to get this feeling that that fans are ready to to come around. At least more mm-hmm. fans are ready to come around and embrace this team than what we've seen since I've been here. I think there was always a feeling, even when you had Yelich and Stanton and Ozuna, that the other shoe was going to drop at some point. I feel like now fans, and whether it's because you've got a new look at the ballpark or or new people in charge, even though uh, you know that hasn't always been smooth. I think. Fans are starting to come around just a little bit, and and maybe it's because we've hit rock bottom. But I, I'm curious to see not only how the players develop, but how the fans' feelings towards this team develop along the way. You know, I don't know if this matters uh, in necessarily the players because they have to worry about their futures. But to your point about developing and watching guys, you know, it's the one thing I think Dookie that needs to change, and that's it's it's a change that takes time. Is the fact that the Marlins are still, and deservedly so for many reasons, a national punchline. Mm-hmm. Uh, locally, we always have fun at the Marlins' expense. It's okay. I've done it many times. We all have on our shows. We joke, just like we have against the uh, again, uh, with the Dolphins and their struggles. And I mean, look, when you struggle and, and you do things and uh, silly things or things that happen, you're going to laugh at it. And the Marlins have become a national joke. Look, columnists in Denver over the weekend, wrote a column basically saying the Marlins are this horrific franchise and gave all the reasons why and all these things. It's very easy to pour on the Marlins, right, Dookie? And I think their biggest step this year is to try to turn that tide as to show people throughout the course of 162 games, not on the field, but off the field and the way they treat fans, the way they do things around the ballpark and the community, that, look, we're not going to be that joke anymore. Give us a chance to not be that joke anymore, that national punchline that is a very tough task because when I mention Marlins to people they usually start joking or say oh you mean if they're going to trade away all their players you know things like that well I think it's a combo of two things okay the first thing relates to Jeffrey Loria Jeffrey Loria was one of the worst owners in Major League Baseball and had I think the but go ahead and had a very unlikable persona whether it's true or untrue, I don't know him, but just he seemed cold. He seemed kind of cruel. He seemed detached. To fans, you mean? To fans. Yeah, yeah. And, and to media, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't, to, I don't care if the owner likes fans, me. fans, he okay. never felt like so, that connection. So part of this, so part of the national punchline was established during Jeffrey Loria. But here's the other part, okay? 
And pardon me because I'm going to use an analogy that's both topical and I have a lot of experience with, but part of this has to do with people enjoying watching Derek Jeter not be great at something. Okay. Oh, I think there's a strong amount of and, people right so, and so, and so, and so, okay, to, to use something ripped from the headlines as we tape on Sunday night, I'm a Duke basketball fan. I went to Duke. People love to talk about Duke losing. People take extra joy in a perceived powerhouse doing badly, but falling. They've been doing that for a long time. Though. No, I, I, and I have, there you go. <laughs> Wait, is that part of the punchline? Well, no, no, you, and, and I would just like to point out that neither Will nor I brought this up. No, I'm bringing it up. I'm bringing it up to make a point. There are people who, who don't care about college basketball, but take joy in watching Duke fail. Fast forward to my analogy, Derek Jeter, a baseball icon, five world series, 20 years in New York, no problem perceived as perfect. Therefore, here's this guy who is put up on a pedestal by so many people, probably justifiably so as a player, and here he is in a new situation, and he's stumbling. And so when he's making mistakes as a neophyte owner who's never done this before, people enjoy watching someone who is perceived as great get knocked off their high horse. And so and so there's an element of joy for some people in seeing the great Derek Jeter not be so great. It was really interesting, the New York Post article that came out a couple of weeks ago, last week, I guess now, that they kind of chronicled the uh, trade talks between the Marlins and the Yankees and, and also kind of got a little bit into the backstory of Derek Jeter's last few years in New York. Mm-hmm. And and what I think you're seeing, to, to Dukey's point, is that people in New York, and, and it appears media in New York, appear to have just been waiting for Derek Jeter yes. to fall. Yep. And and now that article speculated that it was because uh, he started to turn a little bit against the media. Um, it, it's really worth a, a read just to get kind of the insight. And whether or not you believe all of mm-hmm. it, uh, you at least get the other side of, of what went on there. Because, look, we never heard any of this while Jeter was there. He, he found a way to stay out of the – the spotlight for negative reasons. But I think, anyway, to, to bring it back to your point, I think Derek Jeter, the first 12 years in New York, I, even talking to Red Sox fans, Red Sox fans are like, man, I hate that guy on the field, but I got to respect mm-hmm. him. And and mm-hmm. I don't think even Red Sox fans would have rooted for him to fail off of the field. I think because Jeter has been a bit abrasive since he's taken this job in in some interviews, I think there's been kind of a know-it-all quality to some of the things that he has I like said calling him defiant. That. Yeah, and that's that's, that's fine. That's, that's fair. fair. Yeah. But I, I think it's it's how he responds to things. And this is kind of the, the thing that we've dealt with with mm-hmm. this whole thing. We have largely agreed with a lot of what the Marlins have done through the course of this rebuild. It's how it's been done. It is the feeling the need feel the feeling the need to control the message. To uh, anytime there is any any questioning of how things are done, mm-hmm. almost immediately lashing out. That's that's the issue that that's I that fair. I think is kind of led into a lot of this. And what I can tell you being out there, and Will, I know you and I are going to get into this a little bit. I can tell you being out there. It is a much more welcoming environment than, mm-hmm. than it has been since I've been here. Yep. The players seem to actually enjoy having us in the clubhouse. It's And it hasn't been that way. And now it is. And so I, I think it's turning a little bit. But I, I do think time, that it, it's not just 
looking for somebody great with Jeter to fall. I, I think it's all in, in how things have been handled the last couple yeah. of years. And to your point, and I don't want to make this entire uh, pod or even much more than this conversation now about Jeter because I think I want to, do, I want to get into the baseball side of it. Things I think people that are listening are curious as to what we think and some of the discussions and the players and the development. But to finish the thought on Jeter, uh, I will say this. It, Clay, I thought you made a great point. There has been a defiant nature where I think the one misstep has been you can't come into a situation like this and say, wiping my hands with it. I wasn't here. Not my fault. Don't look at me. Don't fault me. You can't expect people to not feel the way they do, given how much they've been burned in this community. And yes, we all know that wasn't Derek Jeter that did it. The years of this, we all know it wasn't this regime that did it. But the point is, this regime is part of the Marlins organization. It was the Marlins organization. So people see Marlins, hear Marlins, see the ballpark, and all those negative feelings come back, whether it's Jeter's fault or not. So Jeter's job, essentially, part of it, is to make people understand, I get it. I I get where the punchline, I'm almost okay with it. Like, almost embrace that in the sense of like, hey, get it all out of your system. Go ahead, because we're going to change in time that perception. And we know it's going to take time, and we know there aren't going to be 25,000 a night, and we know that not everyone is going to think we're a winner and think we're the greatest in every move we make. I think that's the only misstep is the defiance. But I do agree from a personnel perspective that that they are – trying to right the ship and and the most important thing look we I, I think all three of us are the same in, in this respect we're media but we don't take ourselves too seriously I don't care what Derek Jeter thinks of me I don't think it matters I don't think our listeners care what Derek Jeter thinks of you or any of us all that fans care about is what their organization is how they treat fans because I'm not the one paying for season tickets I'm not the one going out there and spending money on on things, I just cover the team. So their focus, all that matters is the way they re-communicate and re-engage with the community, not the way they get along with the media. That kind of stuff doesn't really matter in the end. I think that they should take a lesson from Stephen Ross, in, 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 but not in the way that you're thinking. Stephen Ross, as Dolphins owner, because a lot of a lot of the focus this offseason by the Marlins, besides, and you can walk and chew gum, you can develop and make the fan experience better, but a lot of the focus and a lot of the talk has been around superficial changes to the ballpark, getting rid of the home run sculpture, repainting the outfield walls, all of those things, which matter to an extent. But I would argue that nobody has done a better job with making a fan experience better than Steven Ross. If you go to Hard Rock Stadium now, compared to when you went to mm-hmm. Sun Life or whatever it was when Steven Ross took over, it's a totally different building. They just finished the tennis tournament, which has been fantastic for them. The facility's better. The roof is better. They got the Super Bowl back. All of that is great. And if you ask any Dolphin what they think of Steven Ross, they'll tell you that the Dolphins suck. Yeah, <laughs> and, no, and, it's, so, it's and, so, and so and so and so I I salute the idea of making the fan experience better. I am all for cheaper food. I'm all for better food. Mm-hmm. I'm all for being able to afford to take my wife and kids to a game. Anytime I'm off when I can take my daughter to a baseball game, I'm down. But what Derek Jeter needs to understand is after a while, they're going to run out of superficial changes and people are going to start judging baseball. And once they start judging baseball, they better start winning. Yeah, and I think we all agree that's going to take time. Will, back to your point real quickly about fans just judging what's going to happen with the team, and that kind of coincides with what Dookie just said. Marlins fans are only going to judge what happens with this team. I think nationally, 
the interview that 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 Jeter did with Bryant Gumble, I, I don't think that I don't think that played well. It didn't. And, no, and, I agree. And so you know this uh, Denver Post columnist that wrote mm-hmm. this this column over the weekend. Hey, I didn't all like his the readers, column by the way. I didn't. No, like the column. no, 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 no. But that's but, not even a defense of the Marlins. I don't no, think it was a good column. no. But his all his readers care about is man. He's taking he's taking shots at the Marlins, and that's going to be just fine by them. You're playing so, along to your base, right? So until the Marlins start winning, they do care, and they're going to make fun of of Derek Jeter. They're going to make fun of the Marlins for what they've been in the past. I I, I hope that fans down here, and I kind of get a feeling it's starting to turn this way a little bit. I, I think fans and I hope fans are are going to to give them a fresh start, understanding it's going to take time. But I, I think at least the vibe being out of the ballpark, I, I think and I hope it's starting to, t- to turn that way. Our sponsor today, Vera Motors. When you spend your hard-earned money on a car, go to a place with a reputation. I promise you there's no business in the state of Florida with a better reputation than Vera Motors. Vera Cadillac, Buick, GMC, Pembroke Pines. The Vera family has been serving South Florida for 60 years. For the best deal in South Florida, the best service, Vera Cadillac, Buick, GMC, Vera Cadillac Buick GMC, 300 South University Drive, three miles north of the stadium, Pembroke Pines. I will say this, though. Here's another issue that the Marlins have. Attendance sucks. Yeah. It's it's horrendous. It's embarrassing to look at the pictures on social media, that media post, that fans post. That is a that is something that the Marlins public relations-wise can't cover up. And a lot of people say to me, like, oh, why do you have to post the attendance? Well, well, let's just face it. It's part of the storyline. It's always been in this community with the, when it came to, it comes to the Marlins, especially in the lean years, which, you know, between the championships, there have been many. But the Marlins are a punchline because every night people look and see six, 7,000 people in this beautiful ballpark, and that's embarrassing. Again, it's not all Derek Jeter's fault, but it's embarrassing. Well, part of it, you know, I'm going to combine a couple ideas we had here. I think here's an ideal scenario for the Marlins. They've made their superficial changes. They're trying. And it all looks better, by the way. It all looks we, better. We love the ballpark. It looks they, great. They're trying various forms of community outreach. I thought opening day, and you guys can speak to it because you saw it, sending players out to greet the fans was was brilliant. Excellent. Okay, that's the type of stuff they need to do. So you're going to have, so you're, you're building, you're, you've basically scrapped Everything that existed before you went there. Ballpark doesn't look the same. Team doesn't look the same. The only hold, holdover is Mattingly, and he's on the last year of his contract. Mm-hmm. So this this whole thing is going to look different. After a while of being a national punchline, I think there's a defiance amongst fans. I think I think at some point, oh, if absolutely. I think at some point, yeah. if the Marlins can give people a reason to take ownership of their team. You know, it, it happens to the Heat, okay? People talk about the Ray Allen shot, and people still joke about, oh, well, those Miami fans left the building. Not like every other night in the NBA when you have about 1,000 people leave to be traffic in every single NBA game ever. But, of course, people take shots at Miami fans. And so, at some point, I think there's no defense coming from fans because I don't think fans are connected to the team. I don't think fans take ownership of the team. I don't think fans see it as our city, our team. I think people see it as they're dumping on Loria or they're dumping on Jeter. Not they're dumping on us. Mm-hmm. I think it is the job of players, guys like Lewis Brinson and guys like Curtis Granderson and guys who are who are going to be Pablo Lopez, guys who are going to be dynamic personalities for the team, for the community, to make people feel some sort of sense of the team out there as an us. Because if people start to feel like they're us, then people are going to not suffer the jokes that 
that columnists want to make when they take you know cheap shots at low hanging fruit, and they're going to want to go to games, and they're going to want to and and but that but that and but that's a that's going to take a lot of time, and b I think it's going to take winning. I think it's going to take winning, and the biggest thing is. If like let's take Sandy Alcantara, okay? He he threw this this beautiful game on Sunday, eight innings, no runs, six strikeouts. Looks like he could be a stud. Three four years from now, if he turns out to be great, they need to keep a guy like that. They oh, need to get and 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 once bigger, once bigger once yeah. that once people see, hey, they're developing good young talent. And they're keeping talent. They're investing in talent. I and and that might be three, four years down but line. Not, but that's that's when I think you'll get the loyalty. They, the, here's another problem from a baseball perspective: is the Marlins haven't really addressed that. They've been very careful. When I say the Marlins, mostly Derek Jeter, and very careful in talking about when to spend. And the one thing Derek Jeter again, I think, gets too caught up with is he doesn't do timelines. And I understand why timelines are bad because you can get caught in that timeline if you say two years and in two years you haven't advanced to where you want to be and but I think you can tell people and I think it's okay to tell people we want to develop and keep our young players we want to spend money to sign them long term these kids that are here that are going to be part of our future we're going to eventually lock them down I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that I don't think if you trade them in a couple years in some sort of package that everybody's going to come with pitchforks coming at you saying you told us you would keep it as long as it's all being done in the spirit of improvement and not in the spirit of saving money all of these things are true. Let's let's start at the beginning. The Marlins have been a joke of a franchise for years. For a very long time. It is going to take a long time, especially nationally, to wipe that clean because... Especially with nobody in the stands. All of the things that Loria did, and then Jeter comes in, and the first things they do, trading Stanton, trading Yelich, trading Ozuna, we understood from the inside why that was being done, and we agreed with what was done. But people on the outside don't care. They don't. They're not going to get into. It's not their team. They're not going to get into the details of of why it matters. Mm-hmm. This part is also true. The ballpark experience is much better. It looks much more professional. It is much more welcoming. Unfortunately, people won't know that until they go out to the games. Go back to your point about attendance. Yeah, that's going to make this place look like a joke as well for a period of time until they start winning and until people show up. So. What's the bottom line with all of this stuff, guys? What do we keep saying? Time. Yeah. It's going to take time. And I think, Will, you said this very early in this podcast. It was almost like Jeter wanted to come in and the people around him wanted to come in and immediately wipe their hands clean and have everybody completely warm We're up here to them to in the save franchise. the day. Right. Yes. And you have to understand, it, it wasn't just the Loria regime. Look, Wayne Heisinger comes in here and, and yeah, hey, they built a, a World Series winning franchise. But then that regime got rid of all the players. Mm-hmm. And so it's people have been told something before that sounded good. And then they, they, they got emotionally invested and then something bad happened. So there's, you're going to have to prove it. Yeah, there's nothing. And, and it's the thing. Nothing has been done to say that I can't tell a person. As much as you and I have had this discussion, Dookie, we've all had this discussion with fans as well, whether it be on social media or out in the public. I got stopped uh, Talk a lot of Marlins the other day. I'm sure as you did at the ballpark. People wanted to get our thoughts on the team. And I tell people, I think you could have some faith in Jeter. And a, a, a couple of people told me, but, but why? No, man. We're Look, I hope they're good. I, I like coming out here and taking my family, but I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. I don't. And I get it. There's still that that hesitancy, that feeling of we don't believe it yet. But I, I, the bottom line is it's going to take time. It's going to take winning. And this is going to be, look, let's get to the baseball part because 
in the preview that I did for Local 10, and, and we can all talk about our, you know, it's only four games in the season as we tape, so it's not like the theme of the season has changed with a 2-2 two and two start. I think we kind of know what this team is. I, I thought the Marlins going into the season that my prediction was they're going to lose 101 games, that they're going to lose more than 100 games. They're actually going to be worse than last year with no JT Romuto. A very young staff that I think, as talented as you could already see some of these young arm, arms are, it's a 162-game season. I, don't, I think this is going to be one of the worst teams in baseball. I think this team's going to have a lot of trouble scoring runs. I think this team's middle relief is going to be taxed by the All-Star break. And I think Dom Adley's going to be out of a job at the end of the season. This isn't going to be a happy ending of a season. I don't think they're going to be bright stories to this season from a baseball perspective. And again, you're going to have to take those lumps. Any rebuild that we've seen in the last 5, 10 years in baseball has had these kinds of seasons. I, I don't know if Marlins fans are ready for that reality because when I tell them that, oh, no, 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 we've got a staff that's going to surprise and we've got to, we're going to take the next step, I don't see it happening this year. Well, I have to admit, after the first weekend, I had to amend my uh, season prediction. I think they're now going to go 160-2. and two, So Oh, well, there you go. You changed it up a little yeah, bit. Yeah. No, you know, by the way, I do recommend reading Will's baseball preview. I read it. Uh, it's on local10.com. But I, I, what I really like about it, Will, and, that, and you say that because I didn't take any shots at Duke. No, I'm, I'm saying it because I read it and I thought it was good. Well, I tried to keep it from a baseball no, perspective. I, no, what, what knows all, we can all do punchlines. Listen again. This the reality is that Will is an encyclopedia of baseball. I've, I, I've Never. told you that to the face. I'll tell you that behind your back. But what I, what I really like about your preview, and it's true, is just thinking through the consequences of a young pitching staff because it's very simple to just say oh they have a young pitching staff therefore they're not going to be good no the problem is they have a young pitching staff which means they're not going to be consistent they have a young pitching staff which means they're not used to throwing a lot of innings they have a young pitching staff which means they're going to have to rely on the bullpen and you a lot be careful with these right guys. like sandy and looked amazing yeah he was start. great opening day you but can't expect that for 32 starts this year no for 30 starts it's gonna you're gonna have either setbacks or moments he struggles or you may just as the season progresses shut him down at Point. And so, and and that's the point. Just sort of managing those young arms. I think you know. I think you're right. I think the consequences of that is going to be that they're going to have flashes, like any young team has flashes. And you know, there, there's there's two aspects to to building a team. There's acquisition and there's development. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to determine during the acquisition phase if you're getting quality. You know, when Lewis Brinson came here, everyone's like, oh, Lewis Brinson's really good. He's a big prospect. And then he came here and he couldn't hit an off-speed pitch and he hit 200 last year. Okay, well now he's, quote-unquote, been in the Marlins system for a year. So when we watch Lewis Brinson this year, let's see, does he grow? Does he develop? Does he get better? Does he figure things out? That's the question. And I think with these young guys, that's what you're going to have to see. Brian Anderson got off to a very good start last year. Is he going to build off that or did he reach a seal? We don't know. We need to see it over time. And I I can't tell you one way or another whether the Marlins are going to develop, but I can tell you that they're in a hellacious division oh, and everybody around them has proven talent yeah. and they have developing ta- if you want to be nice you could say developing talent therefore the question is at what speed did they develop and did they get the right guys play i'll look at it this way i love their pitching so let's save the pitching for later mm-hmm. this team doesn't have much of an offense nope and i know this over the weekend they had a couple games where they, they hit the ball okay they had the 116 hit games but most you know they, they had what six hits in the first two games 
this offense is going to have a lot of trouble scoring runs. Well, and it's not a coincidence that the first two games were also against the the best Rockies pitchers, and and that's that's kind of I think the theme is, you know, good pe- good pitching is going to beat good hitting. It's the old cliche. Well, uh, mediocre to good pitching is going to beat mediocre or worse hitting, and I think you're going to see a lot of that this year with this team. And well, I want to get back to your point really quickly about. Jeter and and telling fans about re-signing players and things uh, along those lines. I think the problem you're going to run into if you don't do something like that is Marlins fans are going to say, "Hey, we had Miguel Cabrera, you know, we we had Hanley Ramirez when he was young, and you know, Hanley eventually came back, but uh, you know, we, we lost some of the best years of Hanley." But you know Ramirez. what sucks too? To, to, I want you to continue your point. The, the old regimes signed Christian Yelich to a great deal. Absolutely. And then they still screwed it up. Uh, yeah, and that one, look, I, yes, and I think unfortunately, and, and we know the reasons why that happened. The Marlins basically said, hey, by the time we are ready to compete, we're not going to be able to get anything for Yelich. He's going to be on the downside of his prime, all of that. And in hindsight, not a good move. At the time, you understood why they were doing it because they knew they weren't going to be able to compete. So, but that you doesn't matter trade, now. This regime trade him is what you mean? Y- yeah, Yelich. Well, wh- yeah. Now because we don't know if Yelich turns into this if he stays here because that well, takes a lot of mental fortitude. It's a lot different being on a team that's contending for the playoffs and playing on what is essentially right, a right. high AAA team. But I think the point is, you know, going back to what we said earlier about when you're on the inside and and when you're here, you, you understand why the moves were made. Like at that time, yeah, you, you got it. Uh, Nationally, all they're going to see is that you traded away Christian Yelich, and, and to this point, the return hasn't played nearly as well as, as the MVP has, and and that's going to add to the, the feeling of being a joke. Again, I think they targeted three or four, potentially five years down the line for when they were going to compete, and so that's why the, the deal was made, but right now, it, it's going to be really hard until you prove it to these fans, or at least you come out and say something to the effect of, look... We know what you guys have been through with seeing guys leave. I know mm-hmm. we made a move, and, and hey, you guys look at what we did, and it's really hard for you to trust us. Please understand, with this group, the first, at least the first couple of guys that, that emerge and are going to be spars, we're going to keep them. We're going to do everything in our power to keep them. It is not going to be something where you're going to see the same sort of fire sale that you've seen in the past. Yeah. Again, I don't know if that's going to be enough, especially when you see this group make the Yelich trade, but yeah. you you got to start to to get on the right side. And I know they've tried, but I, I don't know that it's it's made that impact yet. To the baseball part, let's stick with the offense before we get to the pitching. Again, talk a little baseball on the pod. Look, you, you look at the pieces. The way I broke it down, and I think we can break it down as well in our conversation, is who has a plan for the future? Who has Who's part of this future, right? I think Lewis Brinson, they're trying to figure out if he is. He had the chance last year. He struggled. Came out a little late, and he tried to make the adjustments in the offseason, and now you got to give him a season to see what he can do because this is a team that's going to lose a lot of games. Ride with him. See what he can do. At some point, you're going to either figure he can play or he can at this level. He's going to figure it out or not. I'm talking about the current guys on this roster. But you look around the dime. You know, you already have a Garrett Cooper who they were high on second straight year. He wins a starting job out <laughs> of camp. Second straight year, he gets hurt in the second game of the season. Yeah. So right off the bat – for a team that has depth issues and for a team that isn't going to go out and spend money for understandable reasons, you already lose part of what this season was about and seeing what you had, you already lose. He was a guy I really wanted to see if he could legitimately be a part of the puzzle. Now it's a second straight year where you're probably not going to see him for at least a few weeks, and this could be even over a month or two 
that you won't see Cooper with his injury. So again, Starlin Castro, you know, isn't a part of the future. If anything, he's a chip to trade as a solid veteran to have. Martin Prado, same story. Curtis Granderson, who you mentioned, same story. These pieces, you know, Jorge Alfaro is a guy that I think you look at and you say, okay, this is a kid that you got to look at. He's got power. He's been in the big leagues a couple of years and has gotten that opportunity. Is he the catcher for the next few years? That gap until Bainfield, a kid they really like in the minors that they drafted high a couple of years ago? Or is he a stopgap and this guy's not going to turn out to be anything? These are really the questions about this team on offense that you look at. But but the bottom line is most of the offensive players for the future are in the minor leagues right now. You know, the Monte Harrisons of the yeah. world. Mm-hmm. Those are the guys that, that, that those are the kids that you're going to look at. You know, Isan Diaz, these guys that they are developing in triple and double and single A, kids that they just drafted in the last couple of years are, are one to three years away. So let me ask you this. If you have a team that is most likely going to lose 100 games, if you have a team where... 90 plus, let's keep it fair. Fine, 90 plus. 90 plus. If you have a team where obviously every night a team wants to win, but ultimately fans, ownership, management understands it's not necessarily happening this year, it's a process, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of your talent is in the minor leagues. What is the downside, Will, of bringing up some of the guys who you think are going to be the future, maybe a little earlier than you would. This isn't like a team, a Red Sox, a Yankees, who are like expected to compete today. Like the Yankees aren't going to bring up a guy from double-A, triple-A too soon because they need to perform immediately. There's almost like a nope. It's almost like this. It's almost like, well, having an extra triple-A team. When you have no expectations and you get to compete against major league competitions, it's almost like they have an extra platform for them to develop talent so why don't they if they have two three guys who they think are the future why not bring them up before they're ready what what are they going to lose 106 games instead of 104 what we're going to lose is i think the mental side of it look most of these guys i mentioned outside of monte who's a little bit more developed than those other guys those are guys that are still not just a year away. They're probably two or three years away from the majors. Diaz, no. Diaz is, is a guy that, he, you know, he was in A last year. I think that he's pretty close to you. You can't just rush these guys and bring them out there at the major league level. And like, you know, Clay mentioned, even, look, the Rockies aren't a very good team. They're, they're, they'll be a solid team this year. But it's not like when you talk about the division teams, when you face the Phillies and the Nationals and the Braves and even the Mets who are in town this week are with their staff, you know, you're going to throw these kids out that have never been above double A against a Noah Syndergaard? I mean, come on, that's just not going to work. I get what you're saying in the sense like, hey, this is the way you learn. But those kids, you have to develop them and see what you have in the minors. That's why you get the stopgaps, the Curtis Grandersons of the world. That's why you have a Martin Prado playing out there. That's why you keep a Starlin Castro. For those, you know, and a JT Riddle, Miguel Rojas, these guys aren't the future. They're not, but they're good veterans to have around for now to kind of fill that. And let me add one more thing to that. You mentioned Granderson and, and Miguel Rojas. Those are the players that Derek Jeter is counting on to instill the culture in this in this clubhouse. And again, I can't I can't rave enough about what what the clubhouse vibe is there now. What they've done in that respect is working. And and again, look, we're talking about baby steps here. You fix the the ballpark, you so make that look baby better. Shark. <laughs> oh man, don't even uh, Mark Hockman and uh, Channing Crowder and I were talking about that the other day. They were playing that now whenever the Marlins do anything. I told them, look, if you're going to do that, I can't listen to your show ever again because I'm going to drive off the road oh, in anger. Crazy. Um, I like that song. Seriously, I, mean, top, I do. It was a top forty hit. I, I like it. I dance with my son to it. 
Well, that's that's a different that's story, cute. though. That's cute. That's a, yeah, but actually listening to it on your all right. Anyway, makes um, makes me think point, of my son. Victor the, Victor Mace is another one you want to look at too. Yeah, the, the point is there, there's something to having those guys around, and if you're going to bring up somebody who isn't quite ready yet, it means that uh, a Curtis Granderson or a Miguel Rojas, somebody is no longer on that roster, and mm-hmm. you want to be able to have those guys around the team. The other thing is. You know, you're looking at how they've they've constructed this team, and it's really interesting. The you look on the farm, and some of these young arms that are really lively and could be really uh, intriguing to other teams down the line. Let's say it's two years from now, and this team is close, and they are missing one or two bats, which I think we all agree that's what this team is probably lacking. Even with the younger guys, mm-hmm. you're still going to lack some offense. Man, how badly, how coveted are young live arms on the trade market when it, That's why you, you stack do, them up. Absolutely. You double dip you, know, and you that, take them in the first and you sign yeah. them, whatever. You take as many as you can. That's what they used to do. I, I remember, you know, when you talk about the Marlins and young arms, I think back to like when Josh Beckett was oh, a yeah, prospect. Absolutely. They had like Josh Beckett yeah, but, and A.J. Burnett, and they, ha- they had like yeah. a bunch of young prospect now obviously they developed i'm not saying they're anywhere near there but the marlins had a reputation and will correct me if i'm wrong they had a reputation during that time as being an organization where you could find young arms for whatever reason during high school lefty they were going to draft you the first (laughs) right that was the old days of the marlins but here's the problem though the Loria regime didn't value that because here's what would happen the scouting would get these kids early in the draft and then you'd trade him for crap. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Jeffrey Loria traded Chris Paddock, who's one of the top starters for the Padres right now, who had a nice debut, seven strikeouts and five innings on Sunday, for Fernando Rodney. Because, <laughs> but, but here's the reasoning behind it. Because the Marlins were like five or six games out of the second wild card, and he thought it was worth making a run at the second wild card by making that trade. That's just stupidity. And that's something that you think this regime won't be that stupid. Derek Jeter has brought in people who I don't think will be that dumb. I don't think will be dumb enough to give Wei Yin Chen $80 million. Like, I don't... So I think the change in regime and with talents and prospect, the one thing that... I don't know what the measurement stick is or what the... what You know, how you measure stupidity, but the stupid factor has definitely gone down with this franchise with the removal of Jeffrey Luria. With Jeffrey Luria leaving, they're not as stupid. That's just as simple as it is. Well, yeah, that would be addition by subtraction. And listen, we're talking about building. We're talking about the franchise. I'm only talking about this strictly 100%, 1,000% in a baseball sense. Only talking about this in a baseball sense. We talk about young arms. We talk about developing arms. When the Marlins lost Jose Fernandez, that is, again, I'm not talking about anything else. Only talking about from a baseball sense. Mm-hmm. Either as a ace that you build a franchise around or as a potential trade value for a franchise, again, strictly in a baseball sense, not in a human tragedy sense, mm-hmm. there is not a franchise around that would not be impacted by losing that type of player. And uh, it's something it, it it's something that's, it's it something that's very hard to talk about because it's connected to so many other things that are much more complicated and horrible. You know, it's horrible. You know, it's very hard to sort of stick to baseball on this one. But in the strictest sense of just sticking to baseball mm-hmm. from a franchise They've never developed a better arm than that, and it ended in human tragedy. Yeah. And and, well, and that, that sets any franchise back. Look, and one of the things that you look for, again, and following the loss of Jose from an organizational standpoint, again, aside from the human element standpoint, those things you referenced, 
is the Marlins lost their ace, the Marlins lost the face of the franchise, and now you're trying to replace it. I was talking to someone out there the other day on opening day and talking about Lewis Brinson, and he said to me, you know, it was unfair for Lewis Brinson last year. He got thrown in, and it made sense. that He got thrown in as basically, we all were there. We asked him. I think I know why. I'm sure you did too in spring training. Asked him the questions about, hey, could you be the next face of the franchise? Mm-hmm. How unfair is that when you really yeah. think about it? The reigning MVP just left. Everybody's pissed about it. The, the, the number two outfielder who then went on to be the MVP that year left. Everybody's pissed about it. Marcelo Suna, the other guy. I mean, and now you're asking Lewis Brinson to be, that's a lot of pressure. And to these young arms, there's going to be that pressure too of being that next guy. But I want to get into the pitching part of it because I think this is where this pod takes a turn for the positive. And that's if this season, if there's anything to go out there and say, okay, I'm going to go out and why am I going to watch this Marlins team? These young arms. Mm-hmm. Pablo Lopez showed it and you saw it in Sandy Alcantara. What Sandy did, he was, I mean, phenomenal. And then you see what Pablo did. Look, Trevor Richards, to a lesser extent, he's got a nice arm, but I'm not sure if he's really the long-term answer. But between Alcantara and Pablo, and you look at those two young arms and what they could do, and we, Caleb Smith is a guy that they like too. But I think that's your one-two punch for the next couple of years. That's, to me, what I want to see this season, what Sandy and Pablo could do and say, 160 to 175 innings. Well, and what we saw out of, of Trevor Richards and and what we've heard about Caleb Smith, hey, those guys could be good three or fours. If you if mm-hmm. Lopez and Alcantara end up pitching as well as we saw the first couple of games, yeah, I mean, and that's where you have those two guys step up. It changes everything for your franchise as far as what you're able to do, the flexibility that you have. And I know you really wanted to stick to the 2019 Marlins, and and Mm -hmm. I think, unfortunately, we all know what's going to happen this year. You watch these arms develop, though, and what it does for flexibility for the organization moving forward is those young live arms. Hey, the real buzz with this team right now is with the the arms at single A and double A. Like, man, you got some really good, good young pitching prospects if these guys that are up right now and namely Lopez and Alcantara if they turn out to be ones and twos you can deal those guys in single a and bring in real legit hitters that could take you to the next level look and we're not even talking about the fact that the Marlins have drafted a couple pitchers in the last few rounds and the big trade with the real mutual trade Sisto Sanchez is a young kid who's just he's their number one pitching prospect right now when you look at what they have down there you know we're talking about Caleb Smith and Trevor Richards and those are nice stories but the guys that they have in the mind, and Jorge Guzman, a guy, the guy that they got in the Stanton deal, flamethrower that they really like too. They're trying to see how he develops. These are the arms you're really going to see. So, again, you want to take it and understand that these these four or five, this isn't necessarily the future rotation. This is some future p- pieces, as you mentioned, Clay, could either develop or be used in other trades to get even you know some hitters or whatever it is when the Marlins eventually, hopefully, get better. I'll be honest with you. I would rather be the Marlins right now, the way they're set up, the way that they gutted it, the way that they started from square one, the way that they're trying to build around young arms, the the, the position they're in right now okay. than when they were four years ago when they had an MVP, an equally empty ballpark, and deluded themselves into thinking that they were going to get the second wild card every year until they didn't. Because that was what Clay hates, which is a cycle of mediocrity. I and I think that, that the new regime came in and said let's not be mediocre let's be horrible let's rebuild you know uh, having a mediocre big league club and no farm is no way to go through life Mm -hmm. and so they decided we're going to have 
a not very good big league club and build and build and build the farm. And that is a way to succeed. And I personally, as a, as someone who likes baseball and who wants to see baseball successful in South Florida, I would rather see it like this, where there's a lot of could be than a lot of eh and making and trading away studs to get the Fernando Rodney to make that push because that that, I mean and so they're essentially doing what the Dolphins are doing which is the first step to fixing a problem is admitting you have one and I think that as a franchise the Marlins finally said this blueprint that we have is not working and it's time to to build my only question and again this is a couple years down the line is and and what would infuriate me more than anything else is if they build something up and then they don't keep it because I'm willing to I'm willing to, ri- I'm willing to I'm willing to ride know. through but it's it's one of those things where it's like I'm willing to ride through the bad times if I know that when th- if things turn that there will be a commitment to it and and you You're can in the minority you, by the and way and you can't I, and I and, and that's I, very very and that is a consistent theme in my life doesn't bother me yeah. I, I I I would I would rather ride through a couple of really really bad years with with talent just being accumulated 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 if I knew it would be used wisely oh hey look I agree with you man the last couple of years with the heat have been difficult and, yeah and you see the the mediocrity there and and they're really there didn't seem to be a plan for I know there's always a plan with with Pat Riley in charge but there never seemed to be a plan of okay when are we going to get out of what we're in right now it always seemed to be all right we're going to hope that the guys around us get better with the Marlins you see the clear vision with the Dolphins right now I think you see the clear vision you you see what they're trying to do and the draft will give us a much better idea but with the Marlins I think what's there now is it appears they're setting themselves up to trade players for better ready to contribute now players down the line when they're good enough as opposed to in the mm-hmm. past trading the players when they're good enough for salary dumps and play they they would be the the buyers in in that yeah. respect at the trade down. I think that's what they're setting themselves yeah. up for. But I'm with you. I I until we see them do it, I understand people kind of saying, and that's uh, not personal me. against Derek Jeter. No, I'm saying just, you've dealt whoever, with it whoever, no, I don't. Whoever it is, any owner, if you're even with the Dolphins, if you're going to tell me that you want to bottom out so you can build, that's fine. But when you build, you got to go with it, and that's that's the fear. Like it's that 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 they're going to bottom out, and then they're just going to continue to make bad moves, and so. And- Look, I, I, here's the problem, too, with, you know, and I know it's so hard to have a conversation big picture because I think there are people, for anyone that's listening this far into the podcast, you got to be a diehard Marlins fan because at some point, maybe 12, 13 seconds in, you may have just shut it off because you don't want to hear about the Marlins. And I get it. That's the problem is it's so hard to sell long term. It's so hard. I, I think back, and I, this is a weird analogy, but it makes me think when I think long-term. I remember when I first got the Channel 10, I was a young kid. I was 24 years old. I just turned 24, and I was looking to buy an apartment. And I was I wanted to buy my first apartment. I remember going in this apartment, and he's showing it to me, this guy showing it to me. He's got a, well, look at this. You know, you look at this, and you do this, and he's selling me on all the things in the apartment. And, what it, and in five years, it could be worth this. And I, as someone who, who was trying to, like, look ahead I couldn't see it because all I saw was that ugly apartment that was staring at me and I couldn't think of this change and this fix and time and and value and growth I couldn't think of that at that and it's so it's very hard to look at this current Marlins roster and what has happened with recent history and where the Marlins stand in baseball and think 
everything's going to be okay in three or four years. It's very hard to think that way, and I get it. By the way, I referenced it earlier. I'll say it again now. Marlins going to be bad this year. 60, 70, 80 games in, if we do a pod, the pod is going to be, what the hell are we going to talk about? Because they're going to have injuries. Look, they already had one in game two. Mm-hmm. That staff, the chances of everyone in that staff making it through a whole season and giving you 160, 70 innings is, is, is slim to none. You will have guys that come in and try to fill the void that can't. You will have a middle relief, I mean, falling apart. I mean, on Sunday alone, you had Wei Yin Chen coming in in a close game in the ninth. If you if that doesn't tell you anything you know about the Marlins, I don't know what else will. This team has the right plan, but this team in 2019 is going to be really, really bad. I hate to break that to people, and I hate to sound like I'm some Debbie Downer here. I just want to... Well, you know, be real about this. But the, I think that is why right now the organization is drowning us in the antiseptic changes. Because ne- while you're doing, while you're fixing the baseball part, that's the time to allow the music at the games and to improve the food and to. That's the time to sell that because they can't. They, they're they're smart enough to know they can't sell the baseball side of it yet. It's not ready. It's like the apartment. They're selling you on the potential of that apartment. They can't tell you, come on out, check out the countertops, because they knew the countertops weren't up to standard. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why the focus is on all the exterior stuff. The problem for them is... You run out of bells and whistles to sell. You're right, and at a, and, and, and so that's probably sixty and, seven games. Yeah, in. and and once once you've run out of the the hey look over here look at the shiny new standing room only section and hey you can bring your your instrument to the game and go check out the pizza and once you run out of that and you're just left with bad baseball, that's the problem. I think, and, but and I it do think I, I, it might listen. All the bells and whistles might get you out to the ball game once or twice. I think so. I think I'm going to take my family out. I'm going to take my girls out and watch a game. But I think if it's terrible baseball, I think the chances of getting you back go down. Yeah, uh, look, and and I think the bottom line is this for the Marlins. We're not going to sit there. And I think we've talked enough about, look, some of the young arms we already mentioned. The offense, there really isn't much to say. I mean, you hope Brinson develops. You want to see a little more Garrett Cooper. Hopefully he comes back soon. Uh, You look at Jorge Alfaro, who they brought in. You hope he's a piece for at least... The next few years, and who knows, maybe he's more than that. He's only in his mid-20s. It's not like you're talking about some old guy or some wasted prospect. He's got power, and he hits the ball hard. Uh, when you look at these these players, there just isn't much to look at and say, hey, this is this is the next Yelich. This is the next Stanton. Whoever the next whoever is going to be, whatever it's good position or stud, is most likely in the minors when it comes to the hitting part. Unless Brinson really turns the corner and, and, and uses athletic ability and becomes some stud down the road. The pitching, you have a couple of arms. I think that, that I think Sandy has absolute ace potential. I think Pablo is a number two or three starter with with great stuff. And and again, you look to the minors, and that's just not a sexy sell, but it's where the Marlins stand now. I think we can all agree as we wrap up the pod, it's going to be a while before the Marlins stop being a punchline. Like I'm tired of it. I don't make many Marlins jokes anymore because a lot of the jokes had to do with the old regime and they were surrounding about Jeffrey Lurie. I read that column Clay that you referenced that we talked about earlier in the Denver. Uh, I think it was the Denver Post. I it think was. it was. Yeah. Um, and you know, to those we keep referencing without saying it. Basically, this guy just said the Rockies are a much better organization despite the fact that the Marlins have won two titles because the Marlins are a joke because nobody comes and it's a wasteland of a ballpark that no fans show up and they're an embarrassment to baseball. I mean, in a nutshell, that's what he said. Um, and we're gonna. 
I read it and just kind of in one ear and out the other because we're so used to being a punchline that it almost gets to the point that you've heard the joke so many times it's not funny anymore. Be original. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. The Marlins don't get good, bad, uh, good attendance. The Marlins have had a lot of changes. The Marlins have been a crummy organization for a long time. But this is a new regime that is telling you to give us a chance. And me being a patient guy, as I've gotten older, even with you, Dookie, I listened to you for an hour on Sunday talking about why Duke lost. It's true. Uh, even ten, more. Even, ten, ten years ago, I would have run out the building and just started running and screaming. I wanted to run out and scream. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I hate to put it this way, but right, you say you're going to be patient. I don't think we have an alternative. You're right. You, well, you know what? Don't watch baseball. <laughs> this is the don't plan. Watch, don't watch like, baseball. Like, if you li- if I mean, you know, everybody talks about all the external factors that get someone to watch a baseball game. To me, it's very, very simple. I love baseball. Period. End of discussion. Yeah, but the you can watch a million games. You right. Watch but here's the thing. I like going to baseball games, and they're the only baseball game in South Florida. Therefore... I'm going to probably go to a couple of Marlins games because that's what it is. I'd love if they were good, but I'll probably go if they're really bad. Ideally, they will get better. I think that's fair. I think the era of fans being heartbroken by the Marlins, the I can't believe you just traded, I, I think that's gone. I mean, if you they've traded MVPs. They've traded a guy who hit for a triple crown. They've traded guys who've gone on to win the World Series. They've Like, they've... The, you could make every baseball accomplishment with guys the Marlins have traded away. No hitters, perfect games, MVPs, World Series. They've given up some of the some of baseball's greats. So I don't think there's any more like heartbreak left. I think yeah. I think there's an element of numbness, and and because fans are numb, that's why they don't go. Yeah. So the obligation is, and the question is, how do you make people care? And winning you guys, you guys were there, but it, winning it's the winning is one. But I think it's also what they did on opening day. I think, I think if someone was like, "I'm going to go to one Marlins game this year," and they went and they saw Pablo Lopez waiting for them at the top of the escalator, and Pablo was really cool with them and took a picture, I think they go, "You know what? I really like this guy. I might go see him pitch another time." And I think slowly but surely, one by one, person by person. That's how you build a fan base. And, you know, don't then don't turn around and trade him six months later. And ultimately, you might get people enjoying your team. And the thing, too, to wrap it up is that uh, I think the unfortunate part is this. I think we can all agree there's nothing the Marlins can do this year to bring fans. They're going to have the worst attendance in baseball. They're going to be a laughing stock with pictures on the Internet and social media of the, the small crowds, especially as the season progresses. And I don't think there's anything they can really do to make. Because here's the reality, guys. The people that are anti-Marlins because of what's happened in the past, there's nothing I can tell them, you can tell them, any of us can tell them. There's nothing the Marlins can do to change their minds because this is the team that is rebuilding. It's a team that's going to go through a lot of struggles. There are a lot of – look, I joked in the, in the article, it's a, it's a, it's a, the roster is a who's who of who's that. To, to all of us, we know who these guys are. We've been following their careers in the minor leagues. Whatever. Most people in South Florida have no idea who anybody in the Marlins are. They I have no idea who these players are. I wonder if – and maybe you guys can speak to this quickly. I wonder if the whole way the ballpark was built factor – also ties into that the idea that that people felt they got had a fast one pulled on them yes, that there was public and oh, and you know the answer and, to that. and how do you but the question then becomes like how do you overcome that if people think that that a huckster came into town and and, and pulled the rabbit out of the hat and tricked you how do you then turn around and go say hey go support that business i have the answer time yeah, and unfortunately, right. that's the answer nobody wants to hear, no, but it's nobody. the only Speaking answer. of time, this is our longest podcast in the history of America, and, and I cannot believe that it was a Marlins discussion that got us to do it. 
That's pretty good. By the way, as I was we just leave, trying not to talk about the NCAA tournament. But you did it yourself. By the way, a big thanks to our sponsor today, Vera Motors. When you spend your hard-earned money on a car, go to a place with a reputation. I promise you, no business in the state of Florida has a better reputation than Vera Motors. Vera Cadillac Buick GMC Pembroke Pines. The Vera family has been serving South Florida for 60 years. For the best deal in South Florida, the best service, Vera Cadillac Buick GMC. Vera Cadillac Buick GMC. 300 South University Drive, three miles north of the stadium. Pembroke Pines. You could trust them. The question is, can you trust Derek Jeter in this regime? Only time, as Clay mentioned, will tell. Our time is up. Marlins season underway. I hope you can enjoy that. I hope you enjoyed this as well. Next week, we'll probably get back into key playoff chase as they try to chase a spot in the Eastern Conference playoff race. <laughs>